He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That's a short verse, of course. But uh, it has three statements in it that are very, very important for us as believers. <clears throat> the first is, that the first statement that I see in it is that uh, the world was created by Jesus. And the second is that Jesus appeared in human history. And the third is that the world didn't recognize him. Still doesn't, as a matter of fact. Now, the first thing I want to look at in this concept is <clears throat> that the Bible teaches us, and we're going to be talking about what the Bible says, not what the world believes or what the world thinks, but what the Bible says, because it's, it's the great book. It's the great book of all ages. It stands monumentally above every document that's ever been written in this world or ever will be written. It's distinct. It's majestic. It's true, and it's impactful. So we're going to talk about what the Bible says, not what the world thinks. The first part of this is that, that the text is telling us that Jesus is God. Now, the first part of John's Gospel begins with this affirmation in John chapter 1 at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This is a simple declarative statement. Jesus is God, and He is the moving force behind creation. The opening chapter of the book of Genesis tells us this. In the beginning it says, God created heaven and earth. Simple, definitive statement. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. This text in John 1, 1 says that the creative force was Jesus Christ. And as we read the New Testament from the book of Matthew forward through the book of Revelation, we find that the writers several times declare that Jesus, in fact, was the one who did the creating. The Father, of course, directed everything and was over everything, but Jesus was the creative force behind our universe. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and 16, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. So when you see Jesus, of course, you see God. He is the firstborn of every creature. Now the firstborn simply means in terms of stature and in terms of uh, lineage. So that He's the firstborn, just like a firstborn child, uh, has has this, uh, the priorities over the other children in the family, other siblings. But this says, He is the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created. Try to get your mind around that. Everything that you see, everything that you experience, everything that you can comprehend was created by Jesus of Nazareth. He's a creator. It says, By him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now that takes in everything. 
Then again in Ephesians chapter 3 at verse 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. We sang about a mystery a while ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ unraveled every mystery that was in the universe. It unraveled them. Because it tells us that Jesus is the creator of all things. Anyway, it says he is the fellowship, partnership of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things. He created all things by Jesus Christ. Now the creation account itself stands above all the ancient myths that uh, concern this event. There's no other account just like it. I know we get accustomed to picking up the Bible and just reading it and thinking, well, this it has something to tell us today, something that's going to speak to my heart, something that's going to give me some direction, some guidance. But that book is the only book that tells us that God created the heaven and the earth. And it's the only book like it that even talks about such things. Matter of fact, there are no other accounts in the ends of ancient or modern history that compare with this record. None. There is the, um, the account of um, a, an ancient empire, Babylonian empire, that uh, sometimes is, is caught up or brought up to uh, compare with the Bible event, but it, it doesn't. It, it's not an account of creation. It's, it's uh, not an account of, of uh, the, the way that things took place or the individuals that were involved in it. It's, it comes about by with several uh, steels or several little pieces and shreds of pottery, but it doesn't tell the story. And it has a lot of wild things involved in it, involving uh, bulls and individuals who fight with bulls and things of that nature. And it was dug up from a place called Ur in, the, in Chaldea. But there's nothing like the Bible, nothing that tells this story, no document like it. We, we take that for granted. But there's nothing at all, nothing at all anywhere, ancient or modern, that is like the Bible account. And the Bible account stood unchallenged for over 35 centuries. The story of creation as told in the scriptures is not embellished with the fantastic creatures or wild images by man's imagination. Also, the record is not cast in cryptic language where you can't understand it. The ancient documents that we actually have that compete with, like I was mentioning a while ago, the Epic of Gilgamesh, but still there's nothing to compare with it because ancient languages then were depicted with picture form, like hieroglyphics, and not words, not an alphabet. But the Bible has a complete story and a storyline, and it tells it in, in uh, very unembellished un terms. Now, it's a straightforward account, devoid of all mythical and imaginative terminology. So when you pick up the Bible, you're picking up a unique book that is a treasure above all treasures, heaven and earth. It is the Word of God. Now, the creation accounts begin with the self-contained power necessary for the event, God. Now, there are two ways to look at creation. One is you look at creation in terms of what created what and what power did it have to do it. So people usually say, well, okay, if that's the case, then we have to go back and say who created God. But the point is, God is a creative power. He's not a created power. There's a difference. 
Okay. Then it proceeds to delineate the order of events that culminate in the creation of the human species. It starts with the beginning. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth and talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and the ocean and the creatures in the ocean and so forth and the flora and the fauna, and then it comes to man. That's the progress. The ancient explanations that are contemporary of the Bible account are fabulous in their nature. If you can find one that is documented in such detail as this, you can't find them really. They range from cosmic upheavals created by the elements of nature to the Vedic portrayal. Here's one ancient account. The earth is a big flat piece of ground sitting atop a coiled up snake, gigantic snake that's resting upon a cosmic giant turtle. And whenever the turtle moves, the snake coils and so forth, then you get an earthquake. Now that's the sort of comparative theology you have in terms of what the Bible account talks about, the creation, and what man has cooked up in his own mind. Superheroic individuals were conceived to account for the earth and the heavens. This is in the annals of human history. The gods of myth grew out of man's vivid, fertile imagination. There are over 200,000 Hindu deities, hundreds of Grecian and Roman deities, heroes and heroines, and multitudes of local and national mythical beings concocted to explain the universe. Man just had to have an explanation, so we explained it in terms of mythical beings, heroic beings. Most of these gods are representative of the physical elements that we, that we uh, encounter. The sky, the oceans, the air, the wind, the storms, the world, the unseen dead, the grave. Some were invented to explain the, the varied human, human emotions of, of love and hate like Cupid and Eros. And uh, uh, the nine muses uh, depict the... Uh, Arts and poetry. The created gods are said to control the seasons and employ the weather to affect the human experience. All are built from the air of imagination. There's no concrete evidence that this actually is the fact. Then there's a staid and reserved biblical account of the creation. In the 19th century of our era, the Bible accounts of creation were challenged by naturalists a fellow by the name of Darwin, who we've heard of him. He, he really didn't, didn't have any academic credentials to speak of, but he came up with the notion of evolution that he, he figured he could tell us because man was grappling with where we came from, that he could come up with the explanation that we started out as a embryo of some nature, a human single cell embryo, and somehow passed through the generations and ages and, and eventually evolved into a uh, superior species called man. This is called a natural selection and the survival of the fittest. In other words, whatever came out of this chaos survived because it was stronger and better and, and more hardy than others. Like, in other words, the weeds could grow and the corn wouldn't because one was hardy and one was not. Also, it, it, it took a long time for this to develop, so we, out of that spring, out of that concept, spring the notion of how the universe came to be. And so 
men began to look at it and they said, okay, well, it's going to take a long time for evolution to transpire. And Darwin thought of this himself also, but others came along and said, well, why don't we see how old the earth is? And if we can get the earth old enough, then we'll have enough time for the species to evolve. Well, there's, there's several problems. The, the theory of evolution is a favored theory of persons to demonstrate how everything in the natural world came into being, but it has not been verified to date. It's not been verified. It started out in the century before last, started out in the 19th century, and it's still into the 21st century, and it still hasn't been verified. We've been looking for the missing link for a long time. If you lost your credit card, you'd be looking back at when you lost it and where you can find it, and you'd be tracing it around. Well, they lost the missing link. There's no link between the animal, lower animal kingdom, like the ape, and, and the human being. It's just not there. It never has been. And there have been variable tests that have been made and trials that have gone on to try to demonstrate that man could evolve through natural selection and through, through a what they call mutations that are favorable. In other words, if, if a cell got distorted somehow, then whatever was produced from it in that individual that the cell was in, that would be beneficial to the individual. But uh, beneficial mutations have never been demonstrated. That, that's, that's a real problem. The beginning of this we, we know, we know that this, this started in the 19th century when people began to say, well, the Bible is just not true, it's not accurate. There's another, there's another reason, there's another way we can look at, at, at things that are here. God didn't create us. We, some, somehow this just happened. But we, we got back to the point that we had to figure out, well, how did it all start? Because it's all winding down. We know that. It's all slowing down. So in 1927, a theory popped up called the Big Bang Theory. So we know then that, uh, that the evolutionists are saying, well, man created was created out of a biological mass that wasn't really directed by anything. It just came along, and through natural selection and favorable mutation, we became what we are. But where did the world come from? The Big Bang Theory means and, and says the same thing the evolutionists saying, the world created itself, basically. It just matter created matter. Where was it before? Where did it come from? We don't even have to consider that. It's the Big Bang Theory now. How did man get here? Well, he just evolved. But the Bible says very plainly that God created the heaven and the earth. Now, so we have the Greek, Greek word that's called chaos. Have you heard that word before? Chaos. It's the originator of our universe. That's what we're being told. Now, that, that doesn't, doesn't uh, the ancient theories by the individuals developing things from their, from their imagination doesn't much uh, change from what modern science is telling us. Chaos created the heavens and earth. That's, that's, a, that's an old Grecian term for a, a, a Grecian god, an ancient god. Ra was the sun god of the Egyptians. Poseidon was the sea god of the, of the Romans. 
And Thor was the god of thunder and so forth. Finally reaching the uh, conclusion that matter actually created itself. The god of modern science compared these myths and theories with those with the universe swirling about in disarray and controlling, controlled by a variety of, of uh, competing gods with the controlled and orderly universe that we can see in the Bible. Con compare those accounts with the staid and very reserved account in the, in the Word of God God created the heavens and the earth. Now somebody is, is bound to say, well, look at all the things that we can see and look at the radio, radiocarbon dating and look at the atomic uh, way we can determine how the age of the earth and so forth, which, which actually dismisses the idea that, that God actually created the heavens and the earth with age, A-G-E. He did not create Adam as, a, as an infant. And he did not create this world in an infant state. He created this universe with age in a mature state. So whatever we, f we can find out from radiocarbon dating and so forth and the half-life of the atom, however we can determine how old a rock is, does not mean that that's when it was created because God created it in including age, which means simply this that Adam did not come out of a womb, nor did a tree grow from a seed. The tree was full grown. If you were to cut it down, you would have seen the tree rings that determine the seasons, although that tree didn't have any seasons. It was created full grown. Well, so much for that. We have, we have a world, we have a universe that I believe the Bible teaches was created by Jesus Christ and I believe that because the Bible tells me that. Amen. This is the book that tells me that. So we have a choice between conflicting human theories and the Bible record of orderly design, and it seems more rational to default to Jesus. I know this, that uh, when I get up in the morning, I expect to see the sunrise if the clouds don't cover it because it is continued in its design, and it's designed to come up. I know this, that I can anticipate certain things happening in my life and in my body and in my environment because everything has a design to it and everybody can anticipate that and can depend upon it. Everyone depends upon the continuity and design of the universe that this is the way it is. We do not live in chaos. We live in a well-designed and well-organized environment. And so, when I read the Bible account, I say, Jesus did that. He did that for me so I can anticipate. You've, you've seen the, the advertisement sometimes, haven't you? About someone who has a nice hobby shop. And you can see all the tools and all in a nice, nice uh, well-arranged place where the man or woman furthers their uh, hobby. And you see every tool has a place and every tool in its place. So we know that everything has a place in this universe and everything is in its place. So I don't have to be concerned about chaos. I can be concerned about design and the design is what the Bible talks about. Okay, let's just go on from there. I'm saying, what we're saying is the Bible teaches me that Jesus is God and he created this universe like we can observe it right now. And the second is that he came to this earth. 
Jesus came to this earth in the form of a human being. We've lived so long with the Bible and so long with this understanding that it doesn't seem to impact us too much. But basically, think about this. The God whom we worship, the one with whom we share, is the one with whom we share a likeness. We're told that we were created in the image of God. He created them male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In his image. We are in the image of God. And when Jesus came to this earth, he appeared among us as a human being, not as a fabulous mythical creature, but as a human being with human characteristics. He was born as an infant just like we were, and his name was and is Jesus. He is the Son of God, and we share his nature, flesh and blood, and he shares our nature. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, this text says this, and this is a very important part. God appeared in the flesh, in a human form. Okay. Verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able also to succor them that are tempted. He came in the likeness of his brethren, you and me, sharing the same characteristics of a human being. Philippians chapter 2 at verse 7 says, He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men. Hebrews 2 at verse 14 says, For as much as then the children are partakers of flesh and blood, notice the terms, flesh and blood, God was ensconced in, the one who created everything. If you can imagine holding the planet's in the palms of his hand, doing what he wants to with them, he's the one that appeared in the same structure that we're in. How do you get God in a body? But the Bible says there he was. And I'm telling you, the fact that this world has been so impacted by this man testifies to the fact that that was, in fact, God in human flesh. The record of Hebrews 2.14 says, Inasmuch as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. The record of Jesus' birth is straightforward. He came to this earth the same, the same way you got here. Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, all you can see, and you know we're told that, there, that it takes millions and millions of years for light of certain planets just to reach this earth. Jesus did that. Wow. He did that. Look at all the flora and fauna in this world and think about all of the creation, that the creative power that had to go, go into the making of all and the design of all this. And Jesus did that. And yet here he is in a body dwelling among us. Flesh and blood. The record of his birth is straightforward. He came to the earth just like we did. He came out of a woman's womb. That's where you came from. You didn't hatch out of an egg. You came this way. You didn't. You weren't born full. 
you weren't uh, born full grown. He was carried in Mary's womb, just like we were carried in our mother's womb. She gave birth. He did not arrive after billions of years of evolution and eventually ended up as a human being. He did not appear at the point of a massive strike of lightning. He didn't come there. He didn't. He did not. Uh, he did not uh, conjure up. He was not conjured up the incantation of a sorcerer. He arrived as a baby. And when he came forth, he was swaddled, bound up tightly, just like you were when you were born. He was washed, with all the afterbirth taken away. His mother's placenta was clipped off as well. That food supply that every baby has. She had the same problem of, of reconstructing her body that you mothers have had. Everything. Jesus came as a, as a baby, as a human being. He had an unremarkable childhood. There's only one account where Jesus, during his childhood, was mentioned in chapter 2 of Luke. And that's, that's when he went to the city of Jerusalem and he, he was talking because he must have been a prodigy in terms of knowing the scriptures. He was talking to the, to the geniuses of Israel about the law. But other than that, he, he labored with Joseph as a carpenter's apprentice and later became a, a carpenter himself and labored until he's 30 years old in that noble profession. Just like a lot of people were. But this was God in the flesh among us. At the very outset of his public life, he became the task of turning the world around as a human being. And by the way, he did it. He turned the whole world around. Amen. He took the tiller of the good ship humanity and turned it so that we changed from destruction into life and to forgiveness. He came under his own, however, John 1 verse 11, and they didn't want him. They said, no, we don't want God among us. We don't want this. We don't want him among us. We don't, we don't recognize him as such. His own mother and his siblings tried to steer him away at one time when he, he got into a big crowd that he'd been teaching, and, and they were all in a house. And they came to outside of the house, and they were asking people to go get him and bring him out because they were concerned about him. But Jesus was busy doing what he needed to do, saving the world from absolute destruction. But it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 19, 20, then came to him his mother and brethren and, and could not come unto him for the press. They couldn't get to him. They wanted to get him out. And it was told them to him by certain, uh, saying his mother and his brethren, stand without desiring to see you. Of course, his response was, who's my brother, who's my brother, but those who are here around, among us. Later in his life, just before he went to the cross, his, he had four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, these four men. They're, they're, this is the only time they're mentioned as a group. But anyway, these four brethren in John chapter 7 came to him and, and chided him a little bit and said, if you're, if you're the Christ, why don't you get on up to Jerusalem and show everybody who you are? That's what they said. His brethren said unto him, Depart hence and go to, into Judea, for your disciples may see the works that you do. There's no man that does anything in secret 
but he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You know what? Our text started out with this statement, and the world knew him not. They said, go show yourself, but make a difference. Jesus told his disciples that, that they had seen him. If they'd seen him, they'd seen the Father in John chapter 14 and verse 9. And he also told the Pharisees that before Abraham was, he said, I am, which is the same statement made in Exodus chapter 3 when God was telling Moses to go talk to the Egyptians. He said, I am. When the Sanhedrins questioned him, when the Sanhedrin questioned him before his death, they kept pressing him. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one? And the text tells us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, Jesus held his peace. He just didn't answer him. High priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you're the Christ, the Son of God. Obviously, he's the Son of God. He is God. That's obvious, isn't it? Amen. Should be. Jesus said to him, you've said it. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven, high priest tore his clothes, saying, He's spoken blasphemy. What further have we, we need of witnesses? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. You know what all Jesus ever did while he was on this earth was good. That's all he ever did. He did good things. Everything he did was good. Amen. As a matter of fact, that's what Peter said in, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. He said, he went about through all Galilee doing good. He did good. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, or God, is good. Amen. And Jesus was good. Psalms 100 and verse 5 says, The Lord, which is the word God, Yahweh, God is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all gener- generations. It's an undeniable fact that Jesus did good in everything that he did, every way and every, every act that he performed. And when John's disciples came to Jesus and said, Are you the Christ? Are you the one that we look for? And Jesus, you know what Jesus said? He said, Go and tell John. He said, Go and tell John that the, that the uh, blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the gospel is preached to the poor. He said, if you want, just go tell them that I'm doing good. That's what he was saying. I'm doing good. Now, there are a lot of zealots that have come along, self-serving zealots that claim to be Christians or followers of Christ that have done a lot of harm in this world. They've done a lot of harm. And they've created a lot of discord instead of love and peace. But the overall effect of Jesus, let's just take some of these preposters and, and posers, posers, out of the way and say this, that even taking all that into consideration, the overall effect of Jesus on humanity has been and is beneficial. He has created good in this world Amen. because he's God. Yes. But nobody saw him. They didn't see him. Isn't that something? God on earth was not seen. And they saw him not. They, did, they knew him not. The chosen text says that God was not seen. Basically, 
He wasn't known to the world that he entered. He came in surreptitiously, apparently, and he left without making a mark on the world. Well, of course, the world viewed Jesus. They saw him, and they even now see Jesus as a historical figure, but not as God. Get it? There's a difference. Is Jesus a mere historical figure, a man that appeared on this earth and then is gone, disappeared? Or is he God and is he still permanently ensconced in this earth? The uh, world doesn't know him. He's, he's the most unknown individual on earth. But basically, he's the most known among believers and the most unknown among unbelievers. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Basically, this means that he was not acknowledged by his contemporaries. They didn't acknowledge him. It's interesting that secular writers in the first two centuries did not mention Jesus. There's about three mentions of him, but it's sort of a passing statement. Josephus says something about him. Pliny says something about him. Just a little... Versus Hadrian said something about him. But there's no record made by a secular writer about Jesus. Why is that? They didn't know him. You wonder about that, don't you? The ones that wrote about Jesus were his followers, avid believers. They saw him and they wrote about him. But contemporaries ignored him, they don't care. We're not going to tell you about it. Now, that, that shouldn't be too surprising to us. But let me read some text. In uh, John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25, it says, This is the disciple. John himself is the writer of one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know you can read those four books in about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. That's all there is to tell you about Jesus on this earth. Quick. But all the historical doctrines in this world, documents in this world, do not write about him at that period of time. They didn't. They didn't say anything about him. And there's a lot of writing in that that era. But John said, this is the disciple, he's talking about himself, that testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John is saying, you know I'm telling you the truth. You know this because they, they knew what he was talking about. Anyway, he said, we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written therein. Amen. He's saying it should be written, but it's not going to be. It wasn't. All these books should have been written, could have been written, but weren't written. Okay. The world Jesus entered did not acknowledge his presence. Even the people, he came unto his own, and his own knew him not. They're not going to tell you about him. The Holy Spirit moved the men of faith to tell us about Jesus. John 1 at verse 1 through 4. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Here John tells us this story. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, of which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested. We saw it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which is with the Father, and was manifested unto us. 
that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellow, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. We're writing this so you can know the one we're talking about. But Josephus didn't want to say anything about him. He mentioned just like that something about him, but it was kind of offhand. Why didn't the other historians tell us about Jesus? Because they didn't know him and didn't care about him. That's the way it happens. And yet, the documents we have, called the New Testament, describe him and his life, his death and his resurrection, and they exist, and they continue to exist, just as Jesus promised. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now you wonder why somebody else didn't write about Jesus. You wonder why the Pharaoh and the Egyptians didn't write about the Exodus. You wonder why the Nazis didn't write about their failures. You wonder why, why uh, Napoleon didn't write about his failures. You wonder why the Confederate armies didn't write about their failures? Because people don't write about their failures. They write about their victories. They write about what they've won. They write about themselves, not about someone who has defeated them. So they're not going to tell you about Jesus because they don't care about him. They didn't see him. They don't know him. Still don't know him. Historical figure. Oh, yes, they'll say, he lived. We know he was there. But that's about it. And yet... Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. And he says, the grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You have, and I have, that record. Jesus was ignored when he set, set his foot upon the earth. And when he stepped out in public, he was ignored. His teaching and his activities were set aside as unimportant and incidental. He was cast out of the earth like so much garbage and quickly forgotten by the world, but not by believers, not by people who knew who he was and who he is. He was not forgotten by you. Those who believed in him saw him because they were not of this world. Now, Jesus prayed about this. In, in the book of John, chapter 17, we have his recorded prayer. Verse 1 through 3 says, These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. As you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that they may know you. Okay. Later in that prayer, here's what he said, verse 14 through 17. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I pray that you should not take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As long as people are content to live in the darkness of this world, they will never know God. If you go back, if you slink back in the shadows, in the shade, in the darkness of this world, you will never know God. Never. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 6 says, If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. You can see Him if you step out of the world. You cannot hang in the world. You cannot slink around in the darkness and see God. I don't care how many copies of the New Testament you have. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you'll never see Him. The evidence was all around the contemporaries of Jesus in the form of daily sacrifices, daily things that Jesus did good. He did those things that would, uh, that would uh, indicate who he was. He did good things. Our current world <clears throat> is overflowing with the good that's being done in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Did you know that? Our world today is overflowing with the imprint and the impact of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Good being done all over this world in his name by believers. And yet the world refuses still to recognize that he is the Son of God. Still will not say it, will not, will not admit it. Peace is preached all over the world in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It is. Hungry, the hungry are being fed in soup kitchens. And, and bread lines all over this world in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In His name. People are being clothed, the naked, and the indigent are being clothed all over this world in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It's being done. Volunteer kitchens and hot meals it's being served all over the world in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And the homeless are being put in shelters all over this world in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In His name. The mere mention of the name of Jesus during a crisis or a disaster will spark an outpouring of sympathy and dollars to alleviate the harm. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, good is being done. Jesus has so impacted this world, and yet the world still can't see him. Still can't see him. The world has been generously impacted for good in the name of Jesus. If we don't want to see or recognize him, it's because we are rooted in a world that's hostile to his message of salvation. His name is often blasphemed because of the misbehavior of some misguided souls who misuse His name to promote their own, their own agenda of selfishness and greed. Sure. There are charlatans all over the world that are using His name to advance their own cause. And so his, the name of Jesus is blasphemed because of that. But the name of Jesus is more powerful than the evil that's being spread abroad by those who actually are misusing his name. In spite of all this, the goodness of Jesus rises up 
and rolls over this world like a giant tsunami, flooding our lives between his peace, or beneath his peace, and his charity and his love. To deny that Jesus is the greatest force for goodness on this earth is denying that the rays of the sun have any warmth in them, or if the ocean has any moisture in them, or the wind has any cooling breeze in it. We cannot deny that Jesus is the Son of God unless we want to slink back into the world and say, well, it's just not happening. It hasn't happened. He's not the Son of God. And all these things have never happened in our lifetime. You cannot, rationally, you cannot ignore the fact of all that Jesus has done and all the impact he's had upon mankind and in your life. You can't ignore that unless you choose to go back into the world because that's, that's where the scoffers sit, in the seat of the unbelieving. I recommend to you Jesus of Nazareth. He will save you from your sins. He will transform your life. He will make you the best person you could ever imagine you being because you follow him. He is the Son of God. And he is the Savior of mankind. Let's sing our song of invitation together, shall we?